Hey, we're in Genesis chapter 22 today, and I'm privileged. Uh, Pastor Brian asked me weeks ago if I would be a part of this series, What's in a Name? And here we are celebrating today the, the people who named us, right? Or, you know, for the most part, moms get to pick the names, or maybe they give uh, the husband, the dad, give, give him a little bit of input along the way. Uh, but we're celebrating you today, but there's something so special about our names, right? Some of you are named for somebody. Some of you are named for a reason. Some of you are named for some fun reasons. Some not. Some are whatever it might be. But names mean things. And names throughout the scripture mean things. In fact, they, they have this way of telling the story. Uh, we, sometimes it's not clear. Like, is the, does the name come before the story or does the story come before the name? It's hard to know when you have a man by the name of Samson whose name means light and then he encounters a woman named Delilah whose name means, anybody want to guess? Darkness. I mean, just, it kind of tells the story just a little bit. And when it comes to God, he, he gives Moses his name in Exodus chapter 3. But even before then, as we look at Abraham today, there's a way that Abraham had of describing God, an attribute of God, that becomes a name of God. It was... And it comes from the story that, that we're going to be looking at today. And I need to tell you right off the bat, a lot of you know the story, but I want you to treat it like you don't, because I believe you're going to learn some things or be challenged in some ways today, as I was in studying and preparing for this that I hadn't thought of before. But the other thing is this, some of you have heard this story, and this is a story that for you is a problem. I've heard this, I've heard about this story, and I think God must be messed up in some way for this to be a story that's in the Bible. In fact, in rabbinical commentaries and lots of other places, they would say this is the most challenging chapter in the first five books of the Bible. This story is the most difficult to understand. Why God would do this, why, the story, why this would be the story, but when you see how it unfolds, hopefully you get a, a better understanding. But pretend like you've never heard Genesis chapter 22 before. It's so rich. Verse 1 says this. Now it came after these things that God tested Abraham. And he says to him, Abraham. And Abraham says, here I am. Now there's an understanding of God in this story that honestly I believe from this story, the reason why I want to look at it today because I believe this story can change how you live every single day and change how you see the world. And I want you to understand something else right up front. The scripture just says, it's a test. It's a test. But don't let that soften the severity of it. Don't allow that to take the edge off this story. Because this is the kind of test that takes everything you know in order to pass. Everything that Abraham has learned, everything that he knows about God up until this moment is being applied in this circumstance. The other thing I want you to see right from the, from the beginning from, uh, from verse 1, is Abraham's response to God. We're going to come back to it in the end. Abraham, God calls out, and he just simply says, here I am. Here I am. And I want to just tell you right up front, and again, we'll come back to it. This becomes the model for how we are to respond when God speaks. And we get it from this chapter as well as some other great things. Then he said this, God says to Abraham, Verse 2, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. 
Can you see why this is a problem? Even if we just discuss this as a test, which is what it is. But God comes to this man who's already given up everything, who's already agreed to go to leave the country he was in to a place he would not know. Abraham has already followed God. He's already had such amazing faith. And now God comes to him with another moment and another test and says, take your only special begotten son, the one to whom God has already promised that he will fulfill his his commitment of making of Abraham a great nation, and I want you to sacrifice him on an altar. Abraham, kill the boy. That's the story. Kill the boy. Your only son, your only begotten son. I want you to sacrifice him on this altar. Something interesting about this verse is that this is the very first time Genesis 22, verse 2, that the word love is used in Scripture. Now, we know that God is love. It's not just something He does. It's it's an attribute. It's who He is. But it's used in the context of a relationship of a father who has been asked to sacrifice his son. I don't think it's an accident. Just like I don't think it's an accident when the disciple John is writing his gospel, his eyewitness account, of following Jesus, that the first time he uses the word love is John 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave, that he sacrificed his one and only begotten son. First time love is used in scripture is in this passage, in this story. Verse three. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, And he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Now, this is a little surprising to me. Honestly, if you ask me to kill one of my sons, kill the boy, my response might be, what? Seriously? There may have been an argument. There may have been some upset. Like, what kind of maniacal God are you? Like, Seriously, what is happening here? But instead, what does Abraham do? He gets up early in the morning, saddles his donkey, and he just does, begins to do what he knows he needs to do to order, to obey God. God has put this massive, overwhelming task in front of him. And what does Abraham do? He starts to split the wood you got to have wood for a burnt offering. You've got to have wood for this sacrifice. So what does Abraham do? He doesn't argue with God. He just gets up early and he starts to, to split the wood. And I wonder if there's somebody listening in the room or watching online. I wonder if there's somebody in the room that God would say, you know, I've put something in front of you. Maybe you would say, God's put something in front of me. I feel like it's so big. I don't even know where to start. I know what I'm supposed to be doing, but I just... I don't even know. I'm just pushing it down the rogues. I don't even know where to begin. And I wonder if God's saying, you know what? Just, just split the wood. Just start doing the most obvious thing that you can do to take, to have forward movement in God's direction. Just take the next right step. Do the smallest, most obvious thing you can do, and let obedience begin. They split the wood, saddled the donkey, and then they walked for two days. They walked for two days to a mountain that God would show them on the way. What do you, what do you hear about the mountain at the very end today? 
the mountain's important, but honestly, I don't know why they couldn't just do this in the backyard. I mean, really. Abraham, take Isaac in the backyard, take care of business. And the story would have been a lot simpler, over a little bit quicker, but instead, God gives Abraham a journey to walk on. Can you imagine what's going through his head over those couple days? Step after step after step. All the fear, all the uncertainty, all the doubt. Yes, obedience. Make no mistake. Yes, amazing faithfulness. But it's a two-day journey, and there's a lot to think about. And then they get to, they start to approach the mountain. On the third day of the journey, Abraham says to the couple of servants who are with him, says, listen, Isaac and I are going to do the rest of this on our own. We're going to go on our own. And you have to see it here because there's another first in this scripture. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there. We're going to go over there to that mountain. And there we will worship and come again to you. Take the next right step. We've split the wood. We've gone a majority of the journey. I and the boy will go, and for the first time the word is used in Scripture, it's used in this story, we're going to go worship. We're going to go worship God. I don't know how this is all going to work out. He's got to be thinking in his mind. I don't know how this is all going to work out, what exactly is going to happen, but we are going to go and we are going to bow down and we are going to give God his due. And then I love what he says. And then we are coming back. He knows what God is asking him to do. But he says, we will return. What is worship? From the very first time you see it, worship is just saying yes and making the journey. Worship is obedience to the leading of God. It's all that we are for all that, we, that he is. And then when we come into an environment like this where we have the opportunity to lift him all up together, we're doing it in recognition that God is the one who always keeps his promises and that he can be trusted and that he will come up with things that we could never come up with on our own. And I know that some come into a moment like this and, and even when you're struggling with maybe grief or difficulty or God has put some incredible burden on you we come into this place and we worship and we acknowledge that he sees us that he knows us that he will never leave us and even as our worship leaders give us lyrics and music to proclaim him we just say listen we're going to live in faith and obedience and when we're living in faith and obedience and we're trusting him no matter what then we can't wait to get into the room and lift him up and then to go back out and put him on display but we don't wait to worship we don't wait until the story is complete don't be that person that walks in and says, I I'll sing when God gives me a reason. No, he he's giving you reasons. We don't wait to worship until the story is complete. Even if all you have done or are doing is you've just split the wood and you've just started the journey and you don't know yet how the story ends. Because of who he is, you've got reason to worship. Now, it's hard to tell from the scriptures exactly but most commentators and, and from tradition, we believe that Isaac is in his 20s or 30s when this story happens. That's important. Any of you grow up like in a little Methodist church or Baptist church and you have flannel graph? Anybody? Anybody at all? Yeah, there's a few people. Most of you have AARP cards. It's okay. We love you. It's, we're glad you're here. It wasn't a cheap shot. I'm just, come on. Just stick, stick around. 
I don't have that yet, but I grew up with flannel graph. Flannel graph isn't Isaac like nine. Like he's just this, he's just this kid. That's not the right story. This is so important to understand. He's in his 20s or 30s, which makes Abraham, by the way, in his like 120s or 130s. And so when it's time to carry the wood up the mountain, who do you think is carrying the pile of wood? Uh, Son, I'm going to need you to pick up that bundle right there because we're walking uphill. So this is such an amazing picture to me. The scripture says that Abraham has now gone to the mountain that God has led him to. He's got the wood. He's got the fire. He's got the knife. He's done everything he knows how to do. And he knows that his only begotten son is a child of promise. He is a son through whom God is going to fulfill his commitment, his covenant to make out of Abraham a great nation. And Abraham in this moment, in order to keep moving forward, he's got to be convinced of this truth. God has not brought him this far to only bring him this far. God has not brought you this far, child of God, to only bring you this far. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 11, verse 19, it says this, that Abraham figured that if God wanted to, he could raise the dead. By faith, Abraham knew that all things were possible. By faith, Abraham knew that God could make a way when there is no way. You got, you got to slow the story down. Just don't read it too fast. I mean, Isaac, there's got to be a moment where they're walking up the hill and Isaac says to Abraham, hey, dad. It probably was more like, you know, since he's 130. Hey, dad. <laughs> I probably should have said this like before we left the house three days ago. But I've got the wood. You've got the knife and the fire. So he's got flint or magnesium or whatever Boy Scout trick he's about to use to light this fire. But dad, um, did, we, did we forget? Did we forget the lamb? And we turn around and go home. And Abraham says, verse 8 to Isaac, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. So this is why I want to correct the flannel graph. Because now, this is two men, father and son, walking together. And even though Isaac doesn't know everything that's been asked, at this point, all he knows is that there's no lamb. Both of them are looking for God's provision. Both of them are trusting him and walking in faith. What has Abraham said? God will provide for himself a lamb. You know, on this Mother's Day, you've got the family together, and I know that it's a great day to have the family together, but I I just want to encourage us and challenge us. When you talk about mom, or when you talk about dad, or when you talk about grandparents, all the great things they do, I hope that more than anything else, you can say, they pointed me to Jesus. And it's just a moment of, of focusing on our families. I, I want to know if I can just ask a, a loving question and one that constantly challenges me as, as a dad. What is your family trusting God for together? 
What is your family praying about together? What are you believing God for together? How are you obeying him together? Like when you guys get around and you have a moment where all the devices are down, where the TV's off and everything, and we're, we're having just a moment as a family, are, are there those moments where we're, where we're asking the question, what does God want to do here? What does God want to do with us? How can we serve him together? Over the years, our family has prayed for a lot of things together. And the way this works at our house is every so often, uh, we'll pull out a four by six card. My wife will pull out a four by six note card that is pink, like everything else in her life and my house, if you know my wife. And so, and she'll write on the, the pink cards. We'll, we'll ask the boys, hey, what are the requests? Are there any classmates you're praying for? Any friends you're praying for? Hey, here's some things going on in our family right now. Uh, how do we pray for this? Hey, here's something we think God wants us to do. Whew. Uh, let's write this down. And uh, let's, let's, let's pray about this. And I can just tell you, over the years, we've prayed about things. They haven't all worked out. They haven't all worked out. There's no such thing as un- unanswered prayer in the Bible. There's, you could say that God always answers yes, no, or wait, but it's not about getting the answers. Prayer is about getting into alignment. It's about understanding more who God is and what his will be for our lives. And what I can tell you is even when things don't work out and even though there are times where we might be confused to the silence of God, the fact that we have come together as a family and put him in the midst has carried us through some crazy difficult storms. Oh, we pray for so many things over our kids, don't we, mom and dad? We pray scripture over them. We pray for their todays. We pray for their tomorrows. We pray for the people who are yet to be in their lives, the people who are in their lives. We pray that they will continue to learn God's love for them and that God will reveal himself to them. I don't want to pray that they just do the next right thing, but I want them to experience God. I want my boys to know him in such a way that at some point, even without me or their mom around, that they are face down on their knees, trusting him, saying, God, you are real, and whatever you want for my life, I'll do it. And as a family, we, we plant those seeds and we cultivate those seeds so that that life can take hold. You, you know that God has called us away from here. We are gonna, we're transitioning this year, fundraising, doing all the things in order to plant a church in Edinburgh, Scotland. Scotland is 1% Christian, and as one man told me last week, yep, we're 1% going the wrong direction. And so God, through the missions work that we've been doing around here as a church now since 2017, God just wouldn't let it go in our hearts, and so we've, we've been called to go there. And we've been trying to transition our boys there and, and see what this means for their lives. They're 19 and 16. I mean, they're they're young men, and they're about to have their own journey with God and, and make their own decisions. And, but we were there over Thanksgiving, and just as, as a picture, I, I want to wonder what your family is praying about today. We just, I just took my boys up, Angela and I, we took our boys up to a hillside overlooking Edinburgh. Some of you have been here. This is in the crags in front of Arthur's seat. And I don't know what us being called to plant a church in Scotland means for everybody in that picture. I don't know if it means they're all going to live there, or I know Angela is because she's coming with me. I don't know if it, if they're all, I don't know if they're all going to live there. I don't know for how long they're going to live there. I don't know all of those things. We don't have any idea what God might do. We don't know what this assignment 
means for all of us. But what we do know in that moment is that God can be trusted and that he will see it through. And we're all a part of that. We're all a part of that. Isaac knew that God had asked for a sacrifice that was three days away. Who knows what's going through his head? Like, God, do you know how old this guy is? I mean, seriously, this doesn't make much sense. And we don't even have everything we need yet. But dad has just given God a name. Because dad just said, Jehovah Jireh, which means God will provide. However, as I was praying and studying over this passage this week, can I just say, I don't think just saying God will provide actually says enough about what Jehovah Jireh means. In fact, I would say this, it just barely scratches the surface. It doesn't tell the whole story. You see, the the Hebrew word that is written down, translated, will provide, because of the way it's used, it's a compound word, the whole deal. But the word itself actually means something different. The Hebrew word for will provide, you could write it down if you're taking notes, is R-A-A-H. R-A-A-H. You would pronounce it ra'ah. And it shows up in other places in Scripture. Lots of other places in Scripture. It shows up a lot in the creation poem in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis 1 verse 4, God saw that the light was good. It's the same word that's translated in Genesis 22, God will provide. Genesis 1.10, it comes up all the time. God called the dry land earth, gathered the waters, called them seas, and saw that it was good. Genesis 1.12, plants, trees, vegetation, and God saw that it was good. Verse 18, sun, moon, and stars, and God saw that it was good. Translated a little bit differently in Genesis 1.9, it says, let the dry land appear. It's the same word. You see, God will provide just barely scratches the surface. And here's why. Because God, our provider, in many ways, has been minimized to reference money or material things. And that's, that's fine. But it kind of minimizes it to say the meaning of Jehovah Jireh is the check is in the mail. And if that's what you need, then I hope it is. God, God always comes through. His provision will come through. But it means so much more. Listen, and this story, understand, Abraham is a wealthy man. He doesn't need anything material. He has land. He has herds. He has money. He could have bought a lamb or he could have picked one out and brought it from the house. Except that's not what God has asked him to do. God has asked for his only begotten son. And so what Abraham expects in this moment is for God to meet him in his obedience. Jehovah Jireh, not just God will provide. I want you to think of it this way. Jehovah Jireh, God will see it through. Whatever it is he puts in front of you, God will see it through. Not just because you're so talented, not because of your experience, not because you think you already know how it's going to work out, but he's Jehovah Jireh. God will see it through. He sees the end before the beginning. He sees the solution before the problem. And in the right moment, at the right time, when you need it, God will provide. God will see it through. Before he created, God could see what he wanted to create. In Hebrew, when you talk about how God created the heavens and the earth, we say he created ex nihilo, out of nothing. 
Let me challenge you with something today. If you want to be a part of something, then you need to say yes when there's nothing. If you want to be a part of God's something, then say yes when there's nothing. Our God is still creating, and he's inviting his people into the creative process. God might put something on your heart that's out of the box, that might not make sense, but he might also give you insight and vision to see what's possible before anyone else. But you will never experience God's something unless you say yes when there's nothing. I don't know what's got to be going through Abraham's head. I mean, there's got to be questions and doubt and fear, but he kept going. He kept moving in God's direction one step after another. Each step, he's moving forward in faith. And before they even got to the mountain, Abraham declared what he knew to be true about God, and he gave God a name, Jehovah Jireh. He'll see it through. And then at some point, they're on top of this hill. And the next right step is to build an altar. And this poor guy, he bends over too far. He's not getting back up. And so he just says, <laughs> giving the old guys a hard time. Hey, Isaac, we, we, need, to, we need to build the altar. Uh, so put the wood down. And uh, I, need you to, I need you to bring me that boulder over there. That, that, you know, the big one. Yeah, bring that. Bring it to me. I'm not moving. I've walked for three days. Just bring it over here. I need some others about that size. You, you see those? There's some, I'm going to get the little ones, and I'm just going to, I'm going to put them in here. I'm going to stabilize it. Hey, where, um, where'd you put the wood? Yeah, I'm going to need you to bring that to me too. And I'll arrange it. Puts the wood around the altar. Puts the wood on top of the altar looking around thought for sure there'd be something by now um, his eyes are welling up with tears uh, son could, could you just could you come here for a second I um I need you to hold out your hands. I need you to just, I need you to put your wrists together. I need you to hold out your hands. At some point, Isaac, and I'm not trying to be funny, but who could have taken him. <laughs> At some point, Isaac realizes what God's asked him to do has asked his dad to do. Okay. Wraps him up by the hands, Scripture says. Binds him by the hands, binds him by the feet. Gets him situated on top of the wood. Son, I don't know what to tell you. I love you. I love you. We're going to trust him. We're going to trust him. I didn't think it would get to this point, but I still think he's going to provide. Something else is going to happen. I know it's going to be okay. 
And the scripture said that Abraham stretched out his arm, knife in hand. And then in verse 11, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and says, Abraham, Abraham, says his name twice. And Abraham says, here I am. Here I am. Sometimes, one of the cool things about the Old Testament, sometimes that description, angel of the Lord, is not just an angel of the Lord. It's Jesus showing up in the Old Testament. And verse 12 lets us know it's him because the voice says, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. And seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, and here are the two words let you know it's not an angel from me. You remember the, the young wealthy guy in the New Testament who comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life, to experience the kingdom of God? Jesus says, sell everything you got and follow me. And he couldn't do it because he was a wealthy guy. I wonder if he knew. If he knew he was staring Jehovah Jireh in the face, if he would have been willing to obey. You see, selling everything does not take away from who God is. It just gives him more room to prove it. I mean, I can tell you, I'm learning it. We're going through all our stuff. We'll put it on Facebook so y'all can come rummage through all of it. I mean, it's going to be... But I can just... Can I tell you what I'm learning? Places I never believed and never saw coming. God... We'll see it through because he is Jehovah Jireh. And all we do is we just give him more room to prove it. So what's he asking you to give up today? Is it pride? Is he asking you to humble yourself when no one else will do it? What about humbling yourself and asking for forgiveness to make an admission of guilt or that you were wrong? What's God asking you to put on the altar today? Is there, is there something you've been hiding? And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not sure I'm ready to bring that into the light today. Can I just tell you, he's so much more than God will provide. God will see it through. And he will take care of you. And he will forgive you. And he will help you set it right. What's he asking you to put on the altar today? Is it, is it reputation? Is it friends? Is it your job? It's, it's different for all of us. But what is he asking you to put on the altar? Does something need to be sacrificed to make room for his purposes and for his will? Can I just tell you, in doing that, you will experience his love and faithfulness even more. He will prove himself to you even more. He longs to do it. God asked Abraham to put on the altar the very thing he needed for God's big dream to come true for his life. Abraham trusted God because he knew that God sees the end from before the beginning. That when we see problems, he sees possible. He sees the way before there even is a way. Verse 13, Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering three beautiful words, four beautiful words, instead of his son. 
I can't prove it, but I bet you Isaac saw it first. Oh, there it is. There it is. Come here, Barnaby. Come on. Get this guy on the altar. I don't know why I named it Barnaby, but I like it. There's some things about this story that changes everything. Before we read the last verse, I want to point out just another way that this chapter in the scriptures changed everything. Verse 1, God calls to Abraham. Abraham's response is, here I am. Later in the story, when he's got his arm outstretched, knife his hand, and God calls his name twice, Abraham, Abraham, here I am. What is he saying? God, you have my full attention. Not partial attention. Not half and half attention. Not listening while I'm on TikTok attention. God, you have my full attention in this moment. Friends, can I tell you something? You can develop a relationship with partial attention. You can. Parents, we know this to be true. You can grow closer and grow in love with partial attention. I gave up years ago. But God is saying, listen, you and me, I want to show you who I am. I want you to be wholly mine. Would you trust me enough to give me all of it, all of your attention? I can tell you, for a long time, I was a partial attention guy. And you can do a lot with partial attention. I can testify to that. You can grow in Christ with partial attention. I wasn't going to give him full attention because I knew there was going to be something. (laughs) People ask, why are you still here? I didn't realize it, but because I was giving partial attention. And when I gave him my full attention, realized I had his and I didn't know what he was going to ask didn't think it was going to be this but I got to the point where it was more important for me to say God whatever you want because for me anything less is going to be sin and so then he gives the assignment we don't know what it means entirely what it's going to look like But I'm all in because he's all in. And because he's all in, I know that anything is possible. God, you have my attention. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. When your life is lived with worship and obedience, can I tell you anything's possible? If you want to be a part of something, you have to say yes when there's nothing. And he will show up and prove to be Jehovah Jireh. Can I tell you about the mountain? Can I tell you about the mountain? God said, Abraham, I need you to go on a three-day journey. You know where he took him? The land of Moriah, Genesis 22. It's Jerusalem. God asked Abraham to take his one and only begotten son up a hillside in Jerusalem to be sacrificed. 
Abraham believed that Isaac could come back from the dead if necessary. Didn't go that far. But Jesus went that far. And outside the city, he went on that city on a hill. And God the Father laid down his one and only begotten Son so that you and I could have eternal life. My friends, you are loved by a God who gave it all for you. If you haven't, I pray that today you would give your life to him. Thanks so much for tuning in for today's message. If you want to dig deeper into what you just heard, consider checking out our Next Steps podcast. Every Monday, we'll have a practical conversation surrounding Sunday's message and talk through how we can apply it to our daily lives. Along the way, we're going to tackle other tough questions and topics that will help strengthen your walk with God. Whether you're new to the faith or you're a longtime follower of Christ, there's a next step to take in your own story. Just search for Westridge Church Next Steps Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or visit westridge.com backslash podcast.